How's everybody doing today? I was a little sleepy. How's everybody doing today? All right, fake, fake it until you make it, okay? Uh, on this wintry uh, Sunday morning, it's good to be here with you today. Like Tony said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the first time or somebody who's been, who is here today, who had been in a while. Good to see you. Always good to see you here uh, at the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Also welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website, through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning where we're nine days into our 30-day fast, 30-day challenge. How's everybody doing? Uh, That was a little sleepy as well. Usually by now, people are really shaking off the newness of it or have shaken it off altogether and gotten back to their normal life. I hope uh, that you are in that first group as you press through the really, you know, rough part of this in the early days of this, and now you're getting into a sort of a rhythm. Uh, some of you haven't engaged it yet, or those of you have unplugged. My challenge to you is forget about that. Right now, you can start as if it was day one. And so what we've just been asking uh, to, uh, people to do as a corporate family is to join us uh, in our corporate fast, fig- picking a couple of things that just compete for our uh, attention and affection as it relates to the Lord, denying ourselves those things and pressing into God like never before, coupled with that fast as a challenge uh, to engage community life here. And so we've uh, asked that people would engage um, our Saturday morning prayer meeting, uh, which has been going fantastic. It's been going good, attendance is up, but it could be a lot better. And so you guys all turned in those uh, uh, um, challenge cards. And so I just want to remind you that many of you made really ambitious uh, goals on those challenges. And so in, the, in three more uh, weekends as we roll this out, it'd be a perfect opportunity to, to engage that. We've asked people to engage uh, uh, serving at the uh, Food Pantry Restoration Ministries in Harvey, and it's so awesome to see new faces join that um, as they engage this challenge. So plenty of other opportunities to engage, not of worship, and a few other things, but we're, we're, we're into this because this is, the, the in, in my opinion, the most wonderful time of the year. You say... Christmas just passed. I thought Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. No, but in many ways, this, in, in my opinion, is one of the most wonderful times of the year because we get a fresh start. We get to start over. And we get to choose at this point of the year, at this point in our lives, to do some things differently, to unhook from some things and to press into some other things. And it's because of that reason that we started a series a couple of weeks ago that we've simply been calling Lean In. Lean In. Uh, we've discovered that it's hard to lean in more than one direction. And so as followers of Jesus, we've just, we've just collectively resolved to lean in, to move in, to press into Jesus' direction, to press into his direction, to move toward him, because there's a lot of good stuff in that direction. It also happens to be the case that there's a lot of stuff that keeps you stuck, that keeps you bound, that keeps you broken, that keeps you busted and disappointed, uh, away from Jesus. And so when you press into Jesus, when you lean into him and his stuff, you essentially are moving toward the great and moving away from the mediocre and the things that damage and ruin your life. So as we move toward Jesus, as we press in and as we lean, we focus, we become, uh, we have a stronger resolve, we purpose in our hearts to do some things, we get some strategic direction. And as we do that, that entire effort is empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit. God wants you to move closer to Jesus. He wants you to engage some things that are going to bring you some freedom. And so as you engage that, the Holy Spirit joins that effort, and it's beautiful 
beautiful thing. We've been looking at Paul's words. It's just sort of a current that runs through this series in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, I'm moving toward perfection. He says, I'm not there yet, and I may not ever achieve it. In fact, it's not likely that we will ever achieve perfection. But Paul says, I have something that I've set my sights on that I'm constantly moving toward. And if I'm constantly leaning in to perfection, as Jesus Christ sets, sets the standard for that, I'm constantly growing. I'm constantly maturing in every conceivable area of my life. Paul says, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgetting the broken things, and I'm pressing toward the things that will make me whole. And so we begin this series several weeks ago by talking about the importance of fasting and prayer, right? And so we're in the midst of our uh, uh, 30-day fast. Last week, I continued the series by talking about leaning into healthy Christian community. I said that this community is one of God's solutions to what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with you and what's wrong with me. And so in order to engage that and uh, to benefit from it greatly, we have to engage. We have to show up. We have to get involved. We have to take it very seriously. I urge us all to lean into Christian community. But today I want to talk about a really, 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 really important subject. Another specific area that we're supposed to lean into, uh, and I want to talk about this morning, leaning into physical fitness. Leaning in to physical fitness. And we don't like to talk about this in church, man. And some of you are looking for a quick way out of here, but I got people on the door today. You're not going anywhere. Hopefully, you, you can leave if you want, but hopefully you don't. But we don't want to talk about this in church. You know, we don't want to talk about you can go a whole you can go a whole long time, man, without hearing uh, a message or a sermon or some mention from God's word or from a podium in church about physical fitness and your health. You can be in church your whole life, and some of you can attest to this. You be in church your whole life and never hear anything meaningful or compelling about what God expects us to do with our bodies, about hearing something about physical fitness and how we take care of ourselves. You can, you can be engaged for a long time and not hear that. You can be in church and hear stuff about sex and homosexuality and our politics, war, famine. You can hear about God's heart for a whole lot of things. But suspiciously absent from the Christian curriculum is much talk about our health and physical fitness. Preacher can rail on about sin and evil, and he can ride his hobby horses all day long, and then everybody can go down to the basement where there's seven different types of fried chicken. You didn't know there were seven different kinds of fried chicken, but somewhere in the church somewhere in the basement is seven different kinds of fried chicken and all the fixings. And the preachers often are the, are, are the worst at this, right? All the things that we rail on about, all the things that we challenge you about, and we oftentimes are the worst at taking care of our bodies, the worst at considering what God wants for our bodies, o- obesity. And poor health has reached epidemic proportions. And I think it's time uh, that we dealt with it. New Science Magazine ran an article last year that said this, the largest uh, ever study in the state of the world's health has revealed that for the first time, 
the number of years of healthy living lost as a result of people eating too much is greater than the number of years lost by people eating too little. And so basically what that's saying is that malnutrition, people having too little to eat, which is a very serious issue and leading cause of death and a leading cause of death and disease in the world has been surpassed recently by death and health issues that arise from obesity or eating too much. And so now malnutrition on a world scale is number eight on the leading cause of death and, and issues and disease. And up now to number six is this issue of obesity, of this issue of eating too much. Now, I know this is a touchy subject, but we have to go here. I know this makes us squirm a little bit, uh, but we have to go here. I know some of us are a little husky, and we, I mean, you still look good. You're still, you're fabulous, by the way. Uh, but we, we, we have to go here because this is really important to God. God really wants us to lean in. And so as we start talking about health and obesity and being overweight, all those sorts of things, I think there are a few, you know, sort of caveats that we just need to disclose at the outset. And so I know if you are a woman here and you've had multiple kids that, you know, it's just a reality is that our bodies will be impacted by that. Uh, That's just a reality. And some of us lack money, and we know that when you lack money and when you lack uh, financial resource, that the best food is not really available to you. And some people uh, live in parts, uh, neighborhoods where they don't have access to cars and vehicles, and the local stuff that's available is mostly junk food, the cheap stuff. And uh, we realize that that impacts this as well. We all have different body types. We have different metabolisms and other things that make this really difficult and, and provide some unique exceptions to the general rules as it relates to this obesity epidemic. But let's get real, though, right? Uh, let's get real. The real issue here, the main issue is that we eat too much and, and we move around too little. We, we eat too much... We consume too much, and we move too little. Whenever we're talking about uh, being wise with your finances, we say there's a basic principle. The answer to your problems is you, you, you spend less than you earn. You figure out what you make. You generally can spend less than that number. You'll generally be okay. You might not live in a mansion. You might not drive a fancy car. You might not have all your hearts and dives. But you'll generally be okay if you spend less than you earn. Well, in the same way, our problem with our health is the same. We eat too much and we move too little. We move too little. We have sedentary lifestyle. We don't move enough. We don't exercise. We don't burn off the calories that we consume. Uh, we have out-of-control portion size. If you just look at a restaurant, you mean somebody comes in from out of the country and they go to a restaurant or they come to our house, they're like, is this all for right now? Is this plate? I mean, these plates are huge. These portion sizes are huge. Is this all for me? Uh, but in America, the portion sizes are just huge. Uh, we engage in reckless snacking where we just sort of graze all day long. There's a general indifference with regard to our caloric intake. We have no regard for how much we're consuming. And a cumulative effect of that makes this a really huge problem. It's a huge problem. And many, many studies confirm that this is costing us in more ways than we can count. It's costing us money. Billions of dollars, one report says, are more in gas, billions of dollars more in gas, uh, is being spent to move our heavier bodies in our vehicles. 
than, than was the case decades ago. Now think about that. As we've gotten heavier, we, it takes more gasoline to get us from one point to another. It's kind of comical, but it's, it's really sad too. Um, this huge problem is responsible for a wide range of medical conditions like heart disease, chronic pain, diabetes, joint pains. This huge issue impacts productivity at work, our vocation. Obese people take more sick days uh, than people of average weight. Not to mention the growing health care costs. It's reported that Americans will spend an additional $190 billion in additional Medicare costs each year because of obesity. And over 20% of the U.S. health care costs are reportedly due to obesity. And so we got to do business with these numbers, not to mention the impact that it's having on our children, their health. And more than their health, I think their, their habits, what they see as normal with regard to eating, what they see as normal to body weight, what they see as normal. Now, let me just say that there's a whole lot of unhealthy uh, uh, ways that you can think of this that will get you into all sorts of bondage that will have you condemned. And that's not where we're coming from today. That's not God's, you know, picture that he wants to paint for us. Uh, but we need to start talking about this stuff in our churches. And I can't control what happens in other churches, but I can control uh, what happens here. And I can say specifically that we need to start talking about this more, and we will start talking about this more at the South Suburban Vineyard Church because we simply need it. And so as I see this matter, I see this as a failure of leadership. Guess, who's the, guess who the leader is of this church? Me. And so I see this issue as a failure of my leadership because I haven't successfully led our church by example as it relates toward, uh, to our physical health. I haven't led well. I stand up before you and preach every single week, and my appearance and how I take care of my body is, is a testament to how I valued this issue over the years and I had to repent before the Lord, and I stand here and repent before you because I failed us in leading by example on this issue. But with God's help and your accountability, that won't be the case as we move forward. This is a huge area of weakness for me, as it's probably a huge area of weakness for many of you. Now, I probably won't ever be a skinny guy, right? I, I don't want to set ourselves up for failure here, okay? Nor do I want you to have the wrong picture of the goal in mind, Okay? And so it's not about getting skinny. It's not, you know, my wife, she probably wouldn't like me as much if I was a skinny dude. She'd like some meat on these bones. But there's probably just a little too much meat on these bones. And the Lord wants us to do something about that. And so as we engage that today, we're going to be talking about leaning into physical fitness. I want to look this morning at a passage just to start us off here. Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. There are Bibles on the edges of the road. Hopefully you brought your Bible or some type of electronic device to follow along this morning. Um, please bring your Bibles to church or something to read along with, with us so you can engage these scriptures on your own. We'll also be projecting the scriptures on the screens. So I know that this is a sensitive issue, and I just want to be upfront in saying that today's uh, message was shaped, helped, uh, was shaped with help from people who are much farther along on this issue, people who have studied and researched this. I really value my wife's input um, as she's um, been leaning on me over the years to make this important. Uh, my friend Rich Nathan, uh, pastor of the Columbus Vineyard, has done some excellent talks on this and written some really good material on this. And so uh, I want to give credit where credit is due this morning 
as I begin this, but this is a sensitive issue. I want to invite the Lord's presence uh, before we begin. So, Lord, I thank you so much um, that you don't leave us stuck. Um, you speak your hard truths to us today, Lord, and you, uh, and you challenge us to engage this in a real and meaningful way. Lord, we know that this is a touchy issue. We know, Lord, that many of us have identity wrapped around our physical appearance. And even though we failed in this area, Mr. Mark, Lord, the enemy has used this issue as a way to condemn us and to keep us bound and uh, to, to, to make us consider ourselves as less than the standard. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would go before us, Lord, and prepare our hearts to receive this challenging world in a way that does not condemn us, in a way that does not uh, speak down to us or belittle us or say that we're not good enough, but, but, Lord, that you call us to better. You call us to your healthy standard of living, and, Lord, would you speak to us and go before us this morning. God, would you put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Lord, move them, preacher, out of the way this morning so that your truth your light might shine through. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about leaning into physical fitness, being healthy as God sees it. And so a burning question uh, is, where do we start? Like, what's, what's the starting point uh, to this? And as I was just uh, rehearsing this this morning, I, I just realized that I need to say that the real starting point, even though this is not really in my notes, is the real starting point is that God loves you no matter what. Satan would love to get a hold of what I'm about to say and make you think that if you lost 10 pounds or 15 pounds or 20 pounds, that the Lord will love you a little more, that the Lord would accept you more easily, or that if you gain 20 pounds after this, that all of a sudden you've moved further away from God's love and his affection and his heart for you. And, you know, that's as ridiculous as you saying that about your children or your family members. And so I want to speak out as I, as I dive into this that God loves you no matter what. There's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you can do to change that. And so let's view and listen and receive what I'm about to say this morning in light of that so the enemy does not have a foothold. But where do we start? I want to read this passage in Matthew chapter 10. We start at verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely or lie. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, as I read this, some of you might be thinking, did he mix something up here? Is he talking about physical fitness? We're talking about exercising, eating healthy, and losing weight, and moving around more. And he launches into this passage about Jesus and the rich young man. It's a familiar passage to many of you, but some of you might wonder, what on earth does this have to do with physical fitness and exercising and eating well? Well, let's look at it. Young man comes up to Jesus, says, good teacher, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? In other words, what must I do to be square with God? What must I do to be pleasing to God? What must I do to be in right standing with God to gain eternal life? 
And Jesus answers him in a very curious way. I've always looked at this passage and thought it's a very curious way that Jesus responds to him. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Now, I think this passage is perhaps one of the most misinterpreted, you know, few verses in all of Scripture. Because many people look at that and suggest that Jesus was saying, hey, don't call me good. Only God is good, and I'm not God, so I'm not good. Jesus was just sort of, you know, playing, taking the low road, being very humble. But I don't think that's the case at all. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He's the incarnate deity. He's the Word made flesh. He's God on earth, even though he didn't really function as God on earth. So Jesus is saying, why do you call me good? Not to shy away from his goodness, uh, but to challenge this man's understanding of who Jesus really was. And so Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Are you saying that I'm God? Are you saying that we can roll here as, you know, as God? Are you saying that? Are you saying that? If so, can I relate to you in this moment? As God, rhetorically speaking, and then Jesus gives a test. Excuse me, he gives a test. He says, let's, let's test this whole you think I'm God thing. Let's test this whole you think I'm good thing. You're a rich guy. Go sell all your riches, and then we can, we can, go, we can, we can party. Then you can follow me. Then you can serve me. Then you can be my disciple. Then we can go tear it up. And what happens? The guy goes away sad. He doesn't engage it. He doesn't lean in. Why? Because he valued his possessions and his riches and his wealth more than following Jesus. And so if you ask what this has to do with physical health, if you ask what this has to do with our bodies and our lives, I think we begin to need to begin to see this issue as something that is a matter of God's authority in our life. I mean, if it was just willpower, if we just muster up enough, you know, if you could do that, you could have done it by now. You could just read a book and be okay. You you would have done it by now. You could just hear a rousing speech. You would have done it by now. If it was just about buying the right gear and getting it, you would have done it by now. We would have done it by now. But we haven't. We haven't because this is a matter of God's authority in our life. And so God approaches us as we call him Lord as we worship him and as we say, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, we sing these beautiful songs, and God says, really? Really? I know in that area, in that area, in that area, on that area, but what, what, about, what about that one thing that you like? What about that one area that nobody really talks about, that one area that doesn't really convict you, that one area as it relates to making uh, your health a priority and taking care of your body? It's a matter of God's authority in your life. And so I ask you, does God have authority in your life over your body? Does God have authority in your life over your body and over your health and over your eating and over your exercise? Have you given authority to God in your life? And many of you will answer no because it's just hard. But many of us will answer no simply because we never knew that God cared about this. We never knew that this was a big deal to God. And you know, primarily, who, who's to blame for that? You know, people who do what I do for a living. Because we've seen some very poor examples from people that we really, really respect. 
We've seen some very poor examples lived out in front of us on a weekly, you know, daily basis by people who are really spiritual, really God-fearing people who simply by omission have never engaged us and certainly by their appearance and their lifestyle have not given credibility to the fact that God really, really cares about this and he makes this a big deal. We have to first, as preachers, as teachers, as disciples, as leaders, as small group leaders, uh, highlight the fact that God cares about this and our leaning into this is a matter of whether or not we've given God authority to speak to this thing in our life. Whether or not we've yielded authority to God to deal with it. And so I want to say it doesn't matter how you got here today. Poor examples from your home life, maybe you've been abused or something happened that triggers this thing where only, you know, you say, I can only control what I eat, so I'm just going to let it go here, or maybe all sorts of things. doesn't matter how you got here today. I think that God wants to deal with it. And so here are some truths about this. Here are some sobering truths. The first truth is that God values our bodies. God values the body. He values the body. And so why is this important? This is important because we have a tendency to overvalue the spiritual aspect of us. We have a tendency to over, overvalue the soul. And the soul is very important. Our spirit man is very important, right? It's the seed of our life with Jesus. It's very, very important. But as we overvalue our soul, we undervalue our physical bodies. We undervalue the, 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 the important reality that this is a vehicle that houses some other good stuff. This is a good thing. So good, in fact, that Jesus Christ, God, I mean, God chose to come to earth in a body through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our bodies is the vehicle that God chose to, to, to bring you know, hope into this world. That's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and forgiveness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. In other words, the, 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 the word of God, God himself, came, became flesh. He housed himself in a body so that he could engage with us, so that he could purchase our, uh, our freedom and our salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. I love how the message version says the same thing in verse 14. He said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) God became flesh and blood and he moved into our neighborhood so he could dwell and live and impact the world. So God came in a body. He created this body, sent his son in a body. The body is a big deal. And so as we do business with more of the scriptures, we find that God has a high view of the body. He's not indifferent, you know, he's not dismissive of it, but God has a high view of the Bible. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, don't you realize, Paul says, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now that's important. That's a big deal. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your bodies. Man, that's a mouthful about this subject. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. And God's not, you know, materialistic. And so he doesn't necessarily demand that we have all of this fine ornamentation, but he does expect us to give some thought 
some careful consideration to how we take care of his house. You do not belong to yourself, for you're brought with a high price. God said, you're valuable. I, just, I, paid, I paid some good money for you. Uh, a high price was paid for you, not just your soul, but for the whole you. The whole you. I value all of it. All of it is meaningful. All of it is important. So Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 to warn us against defiling our body or polluting it or compromising it in any way. He says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. And so what we see when we look at Scripture, especially passages like this, is that God is painting a holistic picture of what holiness means. A holistic picture of what it means to be whole and what it means to be well. A holistic picture of what we should care about with regard to our beings. With regard to our beings. And so Paul says, listen, be careful. Be on guard. Be vigilant about the things that you intake into your body so that you don't defile it. And so as we talk about healthy living, some of you may not be overweight or obese, but there's a whole lot of ways you can defile your body. And so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time unpacking that, but, you know, some of you are smokers. And so I don't know that it's a sin to smoke. I don't necessarily want to go down that route, but, I mean, what do you do to your body? Not to mention the fact that nicotine is addictive, and I think it's sinful in, 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 in any way you look at it to be controlled by something other than God. And so when it's time for a smoke, you know, that, that, back, that box of squares grabs your collar and it throws you outside and say, hey, it's time to smoke. Not to mention what it's doing to your body. You're defiling your body. Let's just talk about it. Some of us are secretly using drugs or abusing prescription medication. Listen, God doesn't, he doesn't care for that. That house isn't yours. You're renting it. And so you're defiling your body when we're reckless in our sexuality. When we live our sexual lives outside of God's ideal, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you intend to get married one day. I don't care how much you love him or her. Listen, you're defiling your body. That's not your body. And God has something to say about it. And even if you swing to the other end of the spectrum with regard to eating, toward eating disorders, you're you're broken in some way and you're trying to, you know, achieve this ideal. Listen, you're defiling your body. That wasn't God's intention. And so Paul says, move away from, cleanse ourselves of everything that can defile our body. Finally, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, God brought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You must honor God with your body. And so Paul takes it a step further. He said, listen, you know, I told you not to defile it, right? Do no harm to your body. But he takes it a step further and says, I expect that you would use your body actively to honor God. Use your body to honor God and to be a witness unto his goodness, a witness unto his holiness, a witness unto, you know, the life that he has for us. So Paul says, honor God with your body. And so as we see that God really values our body, 
we realize that one of our goals as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who are uh, citizens of the kingdom of God, we want to value what God values. Okay? I mean, so much of what we talk about, much of what we preach about, much of what we teach about, much of the ways that we challenge and encourage, we're basically telling you what God thinks is important. We're basically telling you through his word what God thinks is a big deal. And so how you know that you're maturing and that you're moving closer to God's plan for your heart and for your life is that you begin to value what God values. In the beginning, you're being obedient, right? Dang, I really want to do this. God says don't do it. And so you go, I really want to do that, but, you know, I'm not going to do it, right? But as you become more spiritually mature, what happens is you go, man, I used to like that. I used to get into that, man, but that's disgusting to me. What happened? What changed? All of a sudden, I start to value and internalize the things that were important to God, and all of a sudden, now they're values that I have. And so as it relates to our bodies and our health, we want to value what God values, and one of the things that God really, really values is our body. Here's another truth that's really important. Taking care of our bodies is a matter of stewardship. Kind of touched on that in the valuing of the body section, but it's a matter of stewardship. To be a Christian means to, means to fully understand that nothing you have is, is your own, but rather it's on loan to you. Your money, this is why, you know, it's a problem when you're stingy. Because God says, why are you stingy with my stuff? There's a problem when you have an issue giving generously to God's kingdom and to his people. God's like, wait, I, I gave you that to hold for me, and I asked for a little bit of it back, and you... You, you're upset? Man, you don't really understand how this loan situation works out. You got your kids. They're not your kids. They're on loan to you. You're stewards. And I used to think steward was like taking care of my stuff, being really good, you know, steward with my stuff. No, stewardship means that you're caring well for somebody else's stuff, for somebody else's property. And Paul told us earlier that we are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. And so even if you don't care too much about your health, and even if you don't care too much uh, for avoiding the fatty foods and going to the gym, uh, uh, Jesus says, hey, why don't, you, why don't you do it because that's mine and not yours? <laughs> why, don't you, why, don't you, why don't you take care of it because that's mine and not yours? It's a matter of stewardship. And I don't have the time to read this, but in Matthew chapter 25, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is the parable. Jesus tells this parable of the three servants. And so within this story, a, a, a master, you know, calls together his three servants. He gives each of them some talents or some stuff to invest and to go, you know, reproduce, and he goes away for a while. And so he comes back, and two of the people have invested it and, and doubled what, God, what, what, what the master gave him, and the one guy did nothing with it. And so for those who invested and, and made more and reproduced it and, and had some positive gains on their investments, the master said, great, let's go celebrate. Here's some more. Let's go party. But to the person who did nothing with it, the person who went and buried it, the person who was lazy, Lord took, took the resource from him and gave it to the other guys and cast the wicked servant into outer darkness. And so the whole point of that passage is that God has given us stuff to steward. Influence, money, people, relationships, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. It's a loan for you to do something with it, for you to bless God and bless other people. And so we're supposed to see our bodies as one of these magnificent gifts that God has given us to take 
care of. To take care of. And so as I'm putting this together, and this is the first time I'm putting this together, but as I'm, you know, putting this together under the power of the Holy Spirit this week, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just brought to my knees, maybe not literally, but brought low by how, 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 how poorly I've engaged this. Um, especially as a leader, especially as a person of influence, I'm brought low by uh, what a poor steward I've been with this resource that God has given me. I've seen how I've taken other aspects of this stewardship thing very, very seriously, almost literally, but have neglected this issue, this area, this subject. And many of you would say that the same is true for you. The same is true for you. It's a stewardship issue. (laughs) It's a stewardship issue. And so if we begin to see it as a stewardship issue, I think we begin to lean in a little harder. That's the second truth. Third truth is that poor physical health is a trap from the enemy. Poor physical health is a trap from the enemy. Paul says, I seek to run this race and finish strong. I'm paraphrasing. And finish strong. Paul says, I'd hate to run this race, to put out all of this effort and energy Blessing God, blessing his people, planting churches, doing all this other stuff, you know, bringing other people in. And for some silly reason, for me to get to the end of the race and peter out and be disqualified because I haven't taken all of the right things seriously. Paul says, I not just want to run the race well, but I want to finish it. And some of us, the thing that will keep us from finishing this race and running well is not that you will have an affair it's not that you will embezzle money. It's not that you will, you know, run off with the secretary. It's not that you would do some dastardly thing. It's because you will be physically unable to perform, physically unable to do anything. Your life will be cut short, and you won't finish the race. You won't live out what God has for you. We won't live out what God has for us because we, we've neglected the vehicle that's supposed to carry us to the points that God has for us. That's a sobering thought. I love how Gary Thomas, let me adjust this. We won't finish the race. Let me just first say that sickness and death is an intrusion. It wasn't a part of the original plan. It wasn't a part of the original plan. It joined uh, humanity at the fall of mankind. And so that wasn't God's plan. But we realize that it is a reality of what we deal with now. It's part of human reality. Much of it cannot be helped. You walk outside, you get hit by a pie truck. Hey, nobody saw that coming. Can't help that. Come down with some disease because of environmental issues or because of just, you know, your, your what is it? Because it's hereditary. You can't do anything about that. But much of sickness and death, much of it is preventable. Much of it is directly related to how we care for these very valuable bodies that God has given us. I love this quote by Gary Thomas in his book, Everybody Matters. Gary says this, Satan may attempt to ruin one man's ministry by luring him into a financial trap that will ultimately become a crime and thus wreck his business and his reputation. He may attempt to ruin a woman by gradually filling her mind with thoughts of fantasy toward a co-worker and thoughts of malice toward her husband so that she is weakened and enters into an immoral affair. And he may get others to eat one too many bacon cheeseburgers 
without any corresponding exercise and take them out of the way. He doesn't care what brings our ministries or our lives to an end. He just wants it to end. So listen, we talk about the reality all the time, the possibility all the time that we ourselves can become wrapped up in something you know, sinful or some affair or something like that. But the reality is, for those who are really, really close to Jesus, the likelihood of that is really, it's really, really low. It's really, really low. And that's a good thing, right? But what Thomas is getting at in his book is that Satan doesn't care how he takes you out. He doesn't care how he discredits you. He doesn't care how he ends your years of fruitfulness. He will stop at nothing Because that's his job. Scripture gives us a description of what the enemy wants to do. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to end you. He wants to destroy you. He doesn't care how he does it. And for some of the chicken-loving saints, it's not going to be an affair. It's not going to be money. It's not going to be crime and punishment. We're going to eat ourselves to death. We're going to sit ourselves to death. We're going to watch TV to death. We're going to snack ourselves to death. And even if we don't die, for many, many people, our words won't be as credible. Talk to the young man and say, listen, son, have some self-control. Keep it in your pants. Keep it zipped up. Young lady, don't give the goods away. I know it's hard. I know you're burning. I know he's good looking, but don't give it away. Listen, trust me, it's going to pay off. Have some self-control and our guts are hanging over the belt. And we got a chicken drumstick in our hand as we were, you know, preaching to them about the woes of illicit sex. And we're telling the woman who is in a loveless marriage, listen, be disciplined, stick it out, love that man, fight for it, delay gratification, engage that. Don't you quit on that now. Don't you leave your family, man. Don't you leave your, don't you leave your wife. You better have some self-control. You better lean into this now. And we're, you know, we're rolling around on motorized scooters, you know, because we can't breathe. And I don't say that to make fun. I say that to, 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 to put before you the gravity of this. Something will die. Something will be diminished in impact and significance and potency because of our witness. See, we thought our witness was be a good person, you know, don't curse, don't chew, don't run around with folks that do. But all of our bodies bear witness to the authority that we've yielded to Christ. You understand what I'm saying? And so what we choose to do is we choose to slam the foothold that we've given the enemy, the little crack that we've left in the door to destroy us physically by disease and death and fatigue or disease and death and fatigue to our Christian witness and our moral authority that we might have to challenge and to instruct and to bring others along. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So we need to begin to see poor health as a trap from the enemy. And so your question might be, what does God want me to do? I'm convinced, preacher, what does God want me to do? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, what we should do. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is, the, this is truly the way to worship him. 
Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you know this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and I've never used it in this context? I've never thought of this commission, this challenge, this command to use our bodies to submit them to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Never considered that this is an act of worship to take care of this body, to manage it properly, to say no to the things that would defile it, to move around and burn some gas. I've never considered that an act of worship, but Paul says submitting your bodies is worship. And that's what we're here to do. Submitting your bodies honors God. He, he goes on to say, listen, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. I just told you what the world is doing. Particularly the Western world. We're, hey, we're going the wrong direction on this. And the church will probably, you know, a good part of the problem. We're headed in the wrong direction. And so he says, don't be like them. Show them what it looks like. We want to pick it, and we want to march, and we want to, you know, deal with our pet issues. You know, why don't we show the world how to engage health and wholeness and fitness and true worship and setting this before God and giving him the authority to deal with it? So real quickly, how do we walk this out? How do we walk this out? Some of you, you know, you're pondering this. Others, you say, listen, hey, I'm convinced. What, what, what should we do? How, you know, how do we begin with this? So a few things, uh, just as you know, starting points for this. The first thing I think you should do is you should invite Jesus into this journey. We should invite Jesus into this journey. Yes, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of desegmenting our life. You know, this is my work life. This is my home life. This is my church life. This is my fitness life. This is my eating life. You know, that God never intended it for us to be, you know, segmented in that way. God wants to be involved in every area of your life, particularly those areas of our lives where we struggle, particularly those areas where we're weak, particularly those areas where we're not quite honoring him. And so we, we encourage you to bring Jesus into this as you fast and as you make this a part of your devotion. Some of you will engage this fast differently. Here we are nine days in it. You say, all of a sudden, I'm fasting the wrong things. I'm taking it too easy. I got a serious eating problem, and I'm fasting playing cards. That's not my issue. That's not my issue. And so we don't get into, you know, trying to manage everyone's fast, but, you know, some of us, you know, we need to go a little deeper in this thing because it's a spiritual matter. Invite Jesus into the journey. Second thing you can do is go to the doctor and get a physical. Go to the doctor and get a physical. Listen, I don't use this word often just because I don't like it that much. I tell my kids not to say it. But, you know, some of our, you know, uh, outlook and our relationship with doctors and physicians is just stupid. It, it's stupid. I mean, you, you, you've had this growth, you know, back here for a year and a half, and you just think that one day it's going to just fall off or, you know, something's going to happen, you know. Well, I don't really want to go to the doctor. And so you go to the doctor two, three years after you discover the problem. All of a sudden, something that a pill could have fixed or a minor surgery could have fixed is all just shaved years off of your life and taken you away from your kids or robbed you of productivity. Listen, don't be silly about this. Okay? And some of us are avoiding physicians and getting a physical because you know what the doctor's going to say to you. 
and you've heard it before and you don't want to hear it again. When I go to the doctor, I could probably bet the contents of my bank account that the doctor's going to say, hey, big man, you have to get some of this weight off you. I mean, that's me saying it nicely. You didn't say that nicely. But some of us can get so that we don't want to hear that. And we don't go in and get checkups. And we don't go in and get physicals. That's just stupid. I don't have a better word. I don't have a nicer word. It's stupid. Because God is both miraculous and he's creative. And part of his creativity is modern medicine. And so you need to get your hips to a doctor so you can jumpstart this process. So he can tell you or she could tell you what's going on on the inside of you, the things that you cannot see, so that you can begin to properly, you know, begin to move in the right direction. And some of you, this is a real issue because of your pride, because of your ego, because of something else silly and small. You know, you got insurance. You're paying for it anyway. Go get a physical. Go to the doctor. Third thing, join a gym. Or if you're like me and you, you, do, you already joined a gym, use your membership. <laughs> I mean, they love the offering that you pay them every month. They just love it. <laughs> but, you know, get moving. I told you our problem is we eat too much. We move too little. I know this is hard in the winter, but here are some of the benefits of being physically active. It improves your chances of living Longer and living healthier. It protects you from developing heart disease and stroke. It protects you from developing certain cancers. It prevents type 2 diabetes. It prevents the loss of bone known as osteoporosis. It reduces the risk of falling and improves your cognitive function. It relieves symptoms of depression and anxiety and improves your mood. It prevents weight gain. It promotes weight loss. It improves your sleep. And on and on and on and on and on. Let's get moving. Let's join the gym. I see the ladies have uh, an event coming up in a little over a week where you can come here and for free, you can just, you can move. You, can, you know, you don't have to worry about who's watching you. You can just get free with other women who will get it free. You know, I was talking to Mark uh, Roberson the other day. He's talking about doing something for the guys here in this space. And so one of the things I feel compelled to do is to provide some resources and to provide some outlets for us to do this corporately as a church. But until that, your body is on loan to you. And so the Lord wants you to move around more. Fourth thing, check your meal plan. My friend Irby, who runs Nutrition Addiction over in, in Homewood, he says, listen, if you're working out all the time and this, that, and the other, and you're not losing weight, he said, check your meal plan, homie. He said, check your meal plan. Check your calories. Check what you're eating. And so for some of us, you work out and stuff like that, but you can't tell because you're still not burning more than your you know, intake. And so some of us have to get really serious about the things that we're eating um, because it's really, really important. And so if you grew up like me, you didn't have really good examples of, of eating well. My parents didn't know how to eat well. I mean, they know how to eat well. <laughs> they know how to cook some good you know, soul food, but we didn't know how to eat well. You know, and so and the commercials start mentioning calories and stuff. We're like, what? Okay. Calorie-free? Okay. I want the stuff that, stuff that with calories tastes better. And so, you know, we didn't really know what was going on, right? And so we didn't really get a good starting point with regard to how our eating and, and calories and stuff like that. And so guess what? If you're eating terribly, guess what? Your kids are probably eating terribly. If you're eating crap, they're probably eating it too. 
and, and it may not show right now because they move around so much and because they have this high metabolism, but th- that stuff impacts them. It'll catch up to them. And more than the physical effects of it, you, you've set their normal for eating and their habits. And so it's really, really, really important. So check your meal plan. And so one of, one of the apps that was re- really fantastic, if some of you already use it, it's called the Lose It app. I wish I had a slide for it, but just Google it or, you know, the app store on your phone. Lose It is this a way that you, you, you record everything that you eat. It's a fantastic way to record everything that you eat, and some of you will be surprised at how many calories you're taking in on any given day. You will be surprised. And even if you don't exercise, part of the goal of this is for you to see what you're intaking and slow down a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? So some of you, there's plenty of weight loss uh, aids for that. So check your meal plan. Fifth, tell somebody. Uh, tell someone or be accountable. Be accountable. Support is so important. And the reality of this issue for many, many people is the pre- people you're closest to, the people you live with, are uh, your health journey's worst enemy. The people you live with are your health journey's worst enemy. Because rather than encouraging you and changing with you and growing and evolving with you and moving toward health, even if they're not, you know, harming you, they've continued on their path. And you, I mean, you've got your salad with the light dressing and they've got this burger that they can't even handle because it's so big, you know, right across the table from you. And Hey, I bought some ice cream home, you know. Here you are trying to turn over a new leaf and do some things differently. So, you know, you need to get some support. And so if your family worships here and your family is hearing the same word from the Lord that everybody else is hearing, it behooves your whole family, if you can, to move in this direction. But even if you can't get support where you live, you've got to tell somebody. You've got to be accountable. You've got to engage this together in community because that's the only way. That's the only way that this is going to work, support is so important. So I say all that to say that this isn't just going to happen to you. You're not going to trip over something into, you know, good health. This is not going to overtake you. This is something that you have to lean into, and so you have to make a plan. You have to make a plan. And so my wife gave me this acronym this, uh, this week. It's a, in worship team, you can come up. It's just an acronym, SMART, S-M-A-R-T. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, timed. You got to get specific. I, I want to lose a little bit of weight. That's not good enough. You've been saying that since, you know, eight, 89. How much weight do you want to lose? How many sizes do you want? You get, get specific with it. I want to exercise three times a day. That, that, there we go. And so for some of you, might need to name the days, okay? Which, which day is it? Just so we can narrow this down a little more. It's got to be specific, right? Measurable. It's got to be something that you can measure. It's part, part, part of the uh, specific stuff. It's got to be attainable, right? It's got to be real, you know, work with attainable with who you are, your current, you know, status, your family life, all this. It's got to be attainable. It's got to be realistic. You're probably not going to, you know, run in the Olympics. You're probably not going to do that. That's a, that's a noble goal, but it might not happen for you, okay? But it's got to be realistic, and it's got to be timed. It's got to be timed. If it's going to be effective, it's got to be timed. So within this span of time, I want to lose this amount of weight. Within this span of time, I want to do X, Y, and Z. It's got to be timed. Otherwise, it's just undefined and it's hanging out there. Listen, this isn't self-help, okay? 
Because if you could help yourself, you would have done it by now. This is the word of the Lord to me and for this house. And so my prayer is that we would all engage this, take it very, very seriously, and walk with each other along this, uh, along this road. Because I think wonderful things will happen. And we'll be around for a lot longer to do good work. And we'll see our kids grow up and see them get married and see them have kids. It would be fantastic to live longer and not be saddled with the brokenness and the bondage that comes from destroying our bodies. Will you lean into physical fitness and health with me? Some of you said, yeah, that's all I need. I just need a couple of people. This is going to be fun. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for this charge, for this challenge. Man, Lord, this is from you. This This is from you. It feels right. It's scary. It's hard. feel like I might have spoke too much and bitten off more than I could chew, but this, fe- this feels right. This feels like it's from you. And so, Lord, let us not be a people that run away from the hard things. Let us not be people who try to avoid the difficult stuff. Because usually, Lord, where you call us to grow, usually where you're trying to expand us and take us to new territory, you know, if we're going to do something we've never done, we got to, you know, if we're going to get something we've never had before, we're going to have to do something that we've never done before, Lord. And this this movement in this direction, Lord, is one of those ways that you're calling us to higher ground and to new territory. So, Lord, would you move us to care for our bodies the way that you care for them? So even for those who don't struggle with eating, Lord, if we got some substance, some, some issue, or we have shown disrespect to you by showing disrespect to our bodies, Lord, I pray that you will cut us deep this morning and remove anything that keeps us from moving our feet, leaning into that direction. And so, Lord, I said earlier that as we move to you, Holy Spirit joins with us and brings power. So, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would empower this movement toward your ideal so that we can be healthy, so that we can be whole. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.